0: Listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio, 3. RTHK Radio
1: Three.
0: All right, grab your girdles. It's time for your money today. Carolyn Wright is taking a dive into the health of the outlook for the aviation industry here in the post-pandemic era, including the pricing of airline tickets. Please let them come down soon. Good morning, Carolyn.
1: Good morning. One of the biggest things on many people's minds as we came out of the pandemic was when can I travel again? But many of us may have found that not as easy as they expected, with fewer flights available as well as higher costs for the seats that are. So today we're going to take a dive into how well the aviation sector is recovering, as well as a few other interesting things that are going on. I'm joined by Stuart Prag, who is a retired airline captain and aviation expert. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Good morning Caroline.
1: So, how well would you say the airline industry is doing at recovery? Well I
0: wouldn't exactly say welcome aboard at this point. We're into that post-Covid softness if you like so we're kind of paddling a little bit more actively than we normally were to try and get aeroplanes back in the air again. The big problem we've got now as far as the logistics are concerned with the airlines are getting pilots back into the pointy end of the aeroplane. Many airlines have lost their crews, that includes flight attendants as well and bearing in mind that an airline is just not the pilots and the cabin crew, it's also the sum total of the whole support system that goes with the aeroplane the ground crews, it's the engineers, it's all the deep engineering that goes with trying to keep these aeroplanes up in the air, just like an MOT with a car. So during COVID, what those three years, the airlines lost probably on an average, over 50 to 60% of those that were supporting uh, the aeroplane from the operational perspective.
1: It must take an amount of time for them to actually recover that. If those people have moved on and they don't want to come back into the industry, you've either got to retrain people or, or even just to follow the requirements for being a pilot, surely, you, you have to keep up your practice and your hours of flying, right? Yes,
0: you do. The regulatory systems for all professional airline pilots, basically a road test, if you like, a, a driving test uh, every six months. But in reality, most of the legacy airlines will flight test you every three months. And that includes a line check, which is a, uh, a trip for a combined crew to any destination that the airline will do with a check captain just to check that uh, that the team is is working as per the standard operating procedures of that particular airline. So over the 3 years where covid really put the pressure on the airlines firstly reducing the crews whether it be through the furlough schemes or actually laying crews off the skeleton crews that remained all had to stay in check and when they, all, like the airline here in Hong Kong, flew many of their aircraft, I think around about 80% of the fleet ended up in deserts of Arizona and Alice Springs, uh, all basically wrapped in. Uh, polythene and cling film and tin foil, you know, to protect everything. And so the airlines, including Middle East Airlines as well, all had to do it and that created a bit of um, a vacuum for when COVID ended to get these aeroplanes out and I know that our Hong Kong airline uh, still ended up with a bulk of their fleet still stuck in the desert waiting to get A, engineers, B, support staff and C, the pilots all trained up to fly the things back out again.
1: A lot of us, when we've been looking around for a flight, have gone, oh, well, I can't fly to this place any longer, or, oh my gosh, that's how much I need to pay for it. So when do you foresee those those prices coming down a little bit and how long will it take to get those staff and those aircraft back serviced and ready to, to actually take to the air?
0: Yeah, a loaded question that one. I think certainly not in any time soon I should imagine at least 12 months before we see any form of reduction in airfares and of course the other major issue is where these airlines go in terms of what their routings are. As an example Ukraine. One of the aspects of being in Hong Kong and flying into Europe is having to avoid Ukraine, and that means flying across the polar routes, uh, which puts on an extra three or four hours on the flight times, or on the southern routes, going south of Afghanistan and well away from Ukraine and those extra hours three or four means increase in fuel burn increase in staff costs and, uh, and it goes on and on and on so until the Ukraine issue is resolved I think our European flights certainly from this side of the ASEAN region are still going to stay fairly high that said, going up to places like Japan across down to Indonesia, Singapore I think there's going to be almost a sort of a natural osmosis to keeping those fares high because if the longer legacy routes stay high then so will the better legacy short-haul and medium-haul domestic routes will stay moderately high as well. So I don't see any movement in airfares probably until end of 25 or beginning of 26.
1: So we have seen some airlines who seem pretty confident and pretty happy about uh, the turnaround. They've been paying out quite significant bonuses to their staff. Yes, have, what, yeah. what is it that they've been doing differently to other players? More. Active, proactive, dynamic
0: management, I think. One of the issues that we've got here in Hong Kong, we've got a management system in one of our airlines, which is very two-dimensional, and working in a very three-dimensional environment. So one of the airlines in the Middle East, Emirates, very three-dimensional, very proactive. They haven't been in the past. They've been very dynamic and aggressive with buying up the big fleets, like the 380s, the, the Airbus 380, the double-deckers. They've gone into Airbus again to procure even more of them. Sir so Tim Clark, the CEO there, has said, look, and there's no secret about mid-Covid. He was asked, um, where will you get your crews?' And he said, I will predate and cannibalize, uh, it's as simple as that. And that's exactly what he's done. So a lot of the airlines that were probably with the pilot staff on the verge of saying I'm going to quit. I'm out of here because of very heavy rosters, very quick turnarounds on long haul destinations, thinner crews in long haul capacity. In other words, instead of having a heavy crew, which might be four pilots going to direct New York from Hong Kong, it might have been limited to three, that sort of thing, all part of the cost cutting at a time pre-COVID when airlines were still fairly buoyant. But the likes of Emirates, Qatar, certainly many of the big American carriers have brought in crews from elsewhere. And of course, I I think it was we were discussing earlier where are these airlines getting their younger ab initio crews because three years of not training them uh, has again created another vacuum. So, for young pilots, it is a case everybody is cannibalizing on everybody else. It's a bit of a mess, Caroline, to be
1: honest. (laughs) So one interesting thing that you pointed out to me when we were planning this interview is is something that, you know, could be an idea that would help resolve one of those situations in the idea of having just a single pilot. Now, tell me where this came from, because to me, I personally am a bit like, hmm, sceptical over this. But tell me, you know, both sides of the argument where this is concerned.
0: Yes, this is a bit of a gremlin in the industry at the moment. And uh, I think the accountants, Sabine Count has had a look at the train drivers unions like the RMT and as left back in the UK. Well, if the trains can get away with a single driver, then why can't aeroplanes? So I mentioned that that sort of phrase, three-dimensional environment again. You know, at least on a train, you can stop at a traffic light, but you can't stop an aeroplane at an amber light in the sky. And there's a whole system. It's not just, you know, having one person drive the aeroplane. And nominally, on the, on the front end, we've got two, and we might have a backup on a long-haul flight with two assisting as Two crews rest, the other two come forward, and so single pilot. This creates a big issue for the operators and the regulators because we're looking at the big three, Embraer, smaller of the three, Airbus and Boeing. They've got to bring in new aircraft types into new fleets, a new fleet dynamic to train a single pilot, At the front end of an airplane probably on a single seat with a a recalculation of where the avionics suite will be the flight suite if you like at the front end I mean this is cutting-edge stuff you know this is not a case of removing a radio operator 90 years ago or a flight engineer 30 or 40 years ago this is actually a brand new system so it's up to ICAO, EASA and in fact EASA the European Airspace Agency have been tasked with having a look at this with uh, A pretty aggressive model because the operators, i.e., the airlines, because they're so cost driven and cost sensitive and Almost risk-averse to cost, really want to have a look at getting all this up and running by about 2025. But EASA have turned around and said, which is only down the road. That's not long off. No, it's not, is it? (laughs) And uh, EASA have turned around and said, well, you know, there's no way that we can we can hit a a deadline of of 2025. So we're probably looking about 2030. But the interesting thing is, pilots have said, no, we 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 will not be able to function as a single-pilot operator. They're looking at conceding to. having a a single pilot possibly in the cruise at flight altitudes with a backup pilot or an assistant pilot resting and coming in as required for physiological breaks, rest, that sort of thing. Putting the same argument to the passengers, who are very cost sensitive, probably as much so as the accountants on any airline, they almost modelled the requirements of safety and the two-pilot requirement, as did the pilots. So whilst the passengers were cost-sensitive by, let's say, a price drop of 10%, they weren't that cost-sensitive to mitigate or ameliorate the safety aspect of only having one person at the front end. Uh, and, of course, the classic example people say is, well, what happens if that person uh, you know, has, a, has an event uh, like a, you know, a faint or a heart attack or even passes away?
1: So I don't think this is going to be happening any time soon. There's plenty more we could talk about, but we have run out of time for today. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? Doesn't it? Yes.
1: (laughs) Anyway, that was Stuart Bright, who's a retired airline captain and aviation expert. Thanks for coming on the show today. Um,
0: Good morning, Caroline. Thank you.